Good afternoon, everyone. The Sacramento City Council, please come to order. Would the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you. Councilmember Kaplan? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Talamontes? Here. Councilmember Valenzuela? Here. Vice Mayor Maple? Here. Councilmember Gare? He'll be joining us shortly. Councilmember Jennings? Here. Councilmember Vang? Here. And Mayor? I'm here. Thank you. Uh, Councilman Jennings, would you please lead us in the land acknowledgement and the Pledge of Allegiance? people, the Southern Maidu, the Valley and Plains Miwok, the Pat, Patwin Wetnan peoples, and the peoples of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only rec federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Salute. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Councilmember Jennings, thank you. <clears throat> We're getting us started here. Uh, members, today um, we're going to um, hear about and have a discussion about um, all the things that our Sacramento Police Department does. We're gathered, uh, we have the police chief here and a number of the men and women in uniform and we have Assistant City Manager Mario Lara. And why don't we get started? Good afternoon, Honorable Mayor and Council Mario Lara, Assistant City Manager for Public Safety. Again, it is my pleasure to um, introduce the police chief who will be providing this presentation. This is the fourth in the series under the public safety departments. Um, I introduced the chief the last time, but it's, uh, you know, she needs no introduction. She has been a veteran of the department for 30 years, rose through the ranks. I will say on a personal note, I've attended, I've worked with the chief now for a couple of years and I've attended a few conferences and watched her, you know, give presentations among her peers to her colleagues. She is well respected in her field. City of Sacramento is very fortunate to have an outstanding leader, compassionate and dedicated leader. And I think you will uh, in, enjoy this presentation and learn a lot about the department and as well as her executive team that she has put together as well. They will be participating in it. Without further ado, Chief Lester. That was so nice. Thank you. And thank you for coming back and doing this, um, you know, a second time. Um, you know, we had some great presentation by my colleagues in public safety. So just want to say good afternoon to everyone, Mayor and Council. And I'd like to thank you for allowing our department to be here today. This is a great presentation and it's not, um, you know, it's not often that you get a chance to come in front of your electeds and talk about all the stuff that you're proud of. And I'm just so proud of our department and the work that they have done. Um, you know, like a lot of people before I joined the department, um, I thought mostly what the police did was just answer 911 calls and go on patrol. And um, that's certainly understandable because most of what people see 
really have to really has to do with our frontline services. But what you're going to see here today has so much more to share. We do so much more being a full service police department to over our city of half of a million. So I'm going to lead our presentation with an overview of some of our key citywide programs and services. I'll be followed by Deputy Chiefs um, Adam Green, Dan Monk, and Greg Halstead, who are going to present the programs and services provided by their divisions. And then we're going to end with Captain Clay Buchanan, who's going to highlight the efforts in the um, Office of the Chief to, uh, really are there to ensure accountability, transparency, and uh, work on strategy and compliance. And in the end, really hope to leave everyone with a very detailed picture and maybe one that's a little bit different than what you expected. Um, just really want to show the great work that the men and women of our department do. I'm also really excited to announce that this is our 175th anniversary as a department. We're one of the oldest police departments in California, and we were formed at the very first city council meeting back in 1849. We started with one chief and two officers, and we were about four and a half square miles. Um, the city at the time didn't have a police station or a jail, um, but we did have a ship, the LaGrange, that was moored at the foot of the H Street Bridge and became our official police building and jail. And so times have certainly changed. Like Chief uh, Costamania mentioned last week, we've really continued to evolve through the last 175 years. And so we're going to begin our presentation with just a quick video about this history. This has been covered by a number of media outlets, and I'd like to share it. This year marks the 175th anniversary of the Sacramento Police Department. Through the decades of where history and progress intersect, there stands a steadfast force, the Sacramento Police Department. This year, the department will celebrate 175 years of unwavering commitment, sacrifice, and dedication from the men and women who have proudly worn the badge. The Sacramento Police Department is marked as one of the oldest police departments in California and dates back to 1849, months before the city's establishment during the Gold Rush era. By 1849, Sacramento had grown rapidly from a small settlement at Sutter's Fort to a town of about 10,000 people. The discovery of gold brought people from all walks of life together. With more people, more problems occurred. Sacramento had all the problems of a Wild West town. There were murders, robberies, shootings, and various other crimes committed in this city. Something had to be done. In the summer of 1849, the city of Sacramento was founded when the first meeting of a common council was held. At that time, the city boundaries were between the American River and Y Street, which is now Broadway, and between the Sacramento River and 31st Street, which is now Alhambra Boulevard. This encompassed about four and a half square miles. N.C. Cunningham was appointed as the city's first city marshal, the position now known as the chief of police, and he was given two deputies to enforce the law. An office was established at 2nd and J Street, and with that, the city's first law enforcement agency was born. Since the start of this police department, we have come such a long way from 36 officers to now a total of 675 officers. Throughout its history, the department has faced various challenges including adapting to the city's rapid growth, addressing social and political changes, and responding to shifts in law enforcement practices. Over the years, the department has expanded its capabilities, incorporated new technologies, and refined its approach to community policing. The department has really come a long way from the days of call boxes on the street corners of Sacramento to phones in the police cars to now radios, laptops, and cell phones right at an officer's fingertips. 
the department continues to expand. This year, we celebrate the history of the Sacramento Police Department and how we continue to evolve, emphasizing community engagement, crime prevention, and a commitment to service, protection, and dedication to the Sacramento community. As we look back with pride and gratitude, let us move forward united, building a safer and stronger community together. Happy 175th anniversary to our extraordinary police department. A lot of changes over many years to technology, police practices, and our culture. We're witnessing really firsthand the growth and the evolution of a guardian mentality. And our value statement of service, protection, and dedication uh, really reflect that. Ultimately, our actions are guided and evaluated by their alignment with our mission statement, which is what you see before you here today. So work in partnership with our community to protect life and property, to solve neighborhood problems, and to enhance the quality of life in our city. So a little bit about us. Uh, we currently have a total of um, 100, I'm sorry, 1,131 authorized positions. This includes 755 sworn positions. That's actually gonna be reduced uh, with the elimination of eight uh, positions from a contract. And when we presented uh, this in uh, the FY24 budget just this past May, we were authorized 769 sworn positions. By the end of this fiscal year, we will be authorized 747 sworn positions, which is a total reduction this year of 22 sworn. Um, currently, we have actually um, 83 vacancies of sworn and 92 professional staff vacancies for 175. Um, so this number of 78, we've been hovering right around 80 sworn vacancies um, for the last year or so. Um, and regarding diversity in our department, when you account for gender and racial diversity, we have a 46% diversity in our sworn staff. In our professional staff, it's 88%. And diversity in our last academy was 67%. And our pipeline program diversity, which we'll discuss, is 84%. We're very unique that we require all sworn officers to either have 60 semester units or 90 quarter units to qualify. We also have a military service waiver, but we do take education very seriously and we support our members furthering of their educational goals. So I'm very proud to report that 71% of our officers have bachelor's degrees or higher and 57 officers receive the bilingual pay um, incentive for really a variety of languages that you can see here. Chinese, Hmong, Korean, Russian, Spanish, Ukrainian, Darcy, Dari and Farsi. I'd like to talk about um, some staffing levels and population growth just to go into the history. This slide is really to show our staffing from a historical perspective. In 2008, there were 800, uh, 804 authorized sworn positions, uh, which served our population at that time of about 461,000. Um, but we, like many organizations and many departments within our city, made a lot of cuts in response to the Great Recession. We certainly have not rebounded um, completely. So uh, we are still down about 141 total uh, FTE positions from 2008, and conversely, the population has also increased. Using the city's Measure U and 2035 general plan goal of two officers per 1,000, SPD uh, was estimated to be at about 1,056 sworn. So the current uh, sworn ratio for this year is about 1.43 per 1,000, and that's down from 1.74 per 1,000 in 07 and 08. 
Uh, since 2008, the population has grown to 528,000, which is by over 67,000 people. That's an increase of about 11%. And putting this in perspective, what that means is for every square mile of our city, there are 559 more people. Um, and that's really as of our last census in 2020. So even that number is a little bit older. And as you know, our city has activated in so many positive ways during that time, whether it's through infill development, expanded commercial and residential projects like Natomas, Delta Shores. You know, we have a very robust entertainment economy, including all of the events that you see here at the Golden One Center. You know, these things just simply didn't exist in 2008. Um, but the reality is that uh, our department has 7% fewer sworn positions and 20% fewer authorized professional staff positions than we did 14 years ago. And I'd like to say, certainly the landscape of local government has changed significantly over that time. We are all faced with new challenges in public service. You know, in recent years, and I've spoken about this often in front of this council, we've seen a significant spike in violent crime, including gun and domestic violence. We're also very challenged on other fronts, including uh, increased First Amendment activity, which requires us to divert our limited resources. And as first responders, we have less access to really the mental health and addiction resources for those that are in need. But I do uh, want to say I thank the council that you know, you've regularly advocated for those services. Additionally, we've really changed the way we serve our community. Our department is steadfastly committed to de-escalation, communication, and prevention efforts to improve outcomes. And to do this well, we know it takes time and resources. We're also very committed to working closely with our community partners and aligning our efforts with others committed to the same goals of providing public safety. Finally, in our efforts to promote transparency and meet the legislative changes and mandates, we've redirected significant resources to support these important initiatives. And I do appreciate the Mayor and Council's support of what we're trying to do, especially over the past few years by supporting these efforts and adding additional staff to help meet all of these legislative mandates and um, our compliance efforts. So this just kind of gives you some history. It's a lot I know on the slide, and I'll just touch on some of the highlights. You know, going back, our staffing reductions during the recession really resulted in significant impacts to services that we provided to our community. The initial approved budget reduction during that 08-09 fiscal year resulted in um, the loss of about 174, 174.5 be exact FTE. And what we had to do was reduce our service levels at that time. So beginning in 2008, we saw continued reductions for multiple years thereafter and have listed some of them here. They include things like the closure of public counters, reduced capacity, some elimination of certain overtime, and some delayed follow-up on investigative leads. Um, but these reductions continued really until the department was provided some assistance in funding positions by the federal government through the COPS hiring grants and later by the passage of Measure U when we were able to begin rebuilding. Um, during that time, in addition to really services that were reduced or eliminated, important specialty units were also eliminated. And I bring these up because these are things that you would expect a large city to have. You know, some were eventually restored or brought back on a limited basis. However, others were not. For example, we completely eliminated our narcotics division, financial crimes, vice, and the high-profiler offender teams, teams which have never been restored since that time. And even now, we've really unfortunately not been able to add sufficient staffing to respond to non-injury traffic accidents, a lot of misdemeanors, and many cold reports of uh, property crime. 
Um, and so over the years, we've partially restored some of these units. You've seen uh, partial rest restoration of auto theft, traffic, and pop, although unfortunately, just not to their previous levels. Our operating budget, uh, jumping ahead to this fiscal year, the proposed operating budget was $228.2 million. However, the approved budget is a little bit less than that, $227.3 million. About 91% of that funding is for labor costs, which have really increased year to year. They're contractually obligated, and those costs are included in this operating budget. This year's operating budget also includes about um, $9.9 million in Measure U funding, um, which is always um, included. Um, however, our priorities, um, you know, remain. Um, we are steadfast in trying to address a lot of our challenges. So although the approved budget has authorized the department to staff about, you know, 1,131 positions, we currently have 175 vacancies. So we use this vacancy savings to help pay for our academy recruits, which are not funded, and a significant amount of mandatory overtime to meet our community needs as well as our department priorities. And as we move into 2024, I want you to know this is really important to us. We are going to continue to work on violent crime. We are going to continue to work the, to support the work of the IMT and reduce and address crime related to homelessness and also build on a very strong foundation of many years of positive community engagement. Internally, I think it's very important to recognize that we're working on uh, fiscal responsibility, compliance with our numerous mandates, and employee wellness. Because it is the people of this department that get the real work done, and it's really our imperative as leaders to create a positive, supportive, and very inclusive work environment. And we just have to make sure that we make efforts to continue to develop our workforce and continually reinforce how much we do value their work. Talk about some uh, violent crime statistics. Um, as you know, we made a department-wide effort to really reduce violent crime, which um, this effort strategically began in 2022 after we had seen some very drastic increases. They were alarming in crime um, during the pandemic. And we now show that two years later, we've seen about an 18% reduction overall in violent crime. These numbers build on the reductions that we saw in 2021. If you combine those two years, we've seen about a 34.5% reduction in homicide, a 36% reduction in shootings. Um, and while these reductions are great news and very positive because we are now trending towards our pre-pandemic numbers, we know that we still have a lot of work to do. But I am optimistic that our strategy and our community efforts have been working and we will continue to build on these specific efforts, utilize technology, and leverage resources and partnership, which especially helps us to address some of the gaps that we have in staffing. Um, some highlights um, are the efforts that have been made to take firearms off of our streets. In the last two years, um, over 3,000 guns, many of which are illegally possessed or illegal, and also include over 500 uh, guns that have been turned in by community members as part of our gun buyback program, is a huge number when you think about that amount of guns being recovered from our street. Of note, what was interesting this year is that we saw about a 40% increase in the number of rifles and machine guns that were confiscated. On ShotSpotter, um, we, in addition to our patrol teams responding to 691 activations for a total of about 
25, 50 gunshots. The shot spotter systems cover three very small geographic areas of about eight square miles in the city. And um, these are really calls that our officers respond to, not knowing um, what's going on, but knowing for a fact um, that there is without a, a doubt a gun involved. And a recent example of this technology being beneficial to our city happened just two weeks ago where officers uh, received a shot spotter activation at Grant High School. They responded immediately and were on scene within three minutes. That school campus was secured, a perimeter was established off campus, and very quickly, I might add, and ultimately the suspect was safely apprehended. You know, we are the state capital, so we have some unique challenges here um, in that we have a lot of special events and we have a lot of demonstrations. Um, in 2023, we conducted 43 large-scale operations that required formal planning, um, which include things like demonstrations, Kings playoff games, um, meetings, and various political demonstrations and protests. During this time, um, almost 1,700 officers were utilized to manage and provide public safety at those events, and um, we, we had about 11,370 hours of overtime to manage those. I'd like to talk about one of our flagship programs, which is the Criminal Justice Magnet Academy and Cadet Program. We have Magnet Academies located at five of our comprehensive high schools, Hiram Johnson, McClatchy, Grant, Kennedy and Intercom. And these Magnet Academies are led by officers that are cross-trained as certified teachers. Uh, currently we have 676 students in these programs and I'm very proud to boast that in the last three years they have, um, they've had a 100% graduation rate, which is amazing. Um, and we also support a cadet program for youth 14 to 20 years old. We recruit from both of these programs and bring, um, bring folks into our pipeline hiring program through them. And this is a busy slide, and I know the rule is that you don't put all sorts of stuff up on the slide, but I wanted to share this with you because I think it's so important, you know. In addition to developing as leaders in um, our community, students and cadets give back extensively to serve throughout our city. Um, they give a significant amount of community service officers and, um, and staff and work at different events, many of which are listed here. And I just think it's a great list to share all that they do. Um, you know, and we really, youth and supporting youth are very, it's really an important initiative for us. And so we continue to have a school resource officer program with the Thomas Unified School District. And we also have a number of informal partnerships with a number of schools, including Adopt-A-Class programs, Read Across America, school supply drives, and safety events. Lastly, I'd like to highlight the Sacramento Police Foundation. This is a nonprofit organization really with a mission to inspire community partnerships um, that provide neighborhood safety, support youth programs, and ensure the well-being of our department members and families. Some of the programs that the foundation supports are things like the Sacramento Police Activities League, which strives really to make a difference in the life of at-risk youth um, in many of our communities through coaching and mentorship. The Pedals Program, which provides purchased or donated bicycles and equipment to kids. Pedals was established in 2008 by officers who spend their time repairing, donating, and helping local children and families with bicycles. And then we have the Sacramento Police Cares Program, which was also a grassroots effort started by members of our department to provide assistance to people in immediate need. Officers have used the program to purchase items such as shoes, food, fuel, bedding, bus tickets, hotel rooms, and even buying presents for children. So I'm now gonna turn the presentation over to Deputy Chief Adam Green and he will talk about the Office of Operations.
Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Mayor and Council. As you know, I'm Deputy Chief Adam Green, and I oversee the Office of Operations, which consists of our department's patrol division. Uh, our patrol division serves our population, about 528,000 residents uh, who reside in the 98 square miles of our city. Our patrol division is comprised of four area commands. You, um, these are the smaller districts that are on this uh, map above. Um, each of the commands is overseen by a patrol captain, also known as the area commander, uh, many of which you all know very well. Uh, the four commands are further divided into the seven districts, which you see on the screen in front of you. And in addition to the area captains, each command is managed by an executive lieutenant and our patrol lieutenants who are also known as watch commanders. In 2023, we did a reevaluation of the makeup of the police department uh, and the distribution of our staff. Uh, the goal was to ease the workload of our patrol staff and improve the service to our community overall. Um, we did something that had not been done for two decades and we divided the geographic area which uh, was previously made up District 6 and added a District 7. Uh, this redistricting went into effect just this January. Um, this was a significant undertaking, as you can imagine, but it's already demonstrated some positive impacts for both the community and our officers. In 2023, we began the year with 257 officers in patrol, uh, of which 220 were working when you remove uh, those who were out on various types of leave. And as of January 24th, uh, of this year, or I'm sorry, January 2024, uh, we have 265 officers assigned to patrol, uh, of which currently about 238 are working. In addition to handling the hundreds of calls for service that come in each day, our patrol uh, officers participate in community meetings, community events. Uh, they respond to large incidents such as sideshows, uh, which as you know are a, a pretty significant concern for our region and have uh, created concerns for the safety in our community. Uh, we are fortunate to have 15 community ser service officers, or CSOs, assigned to patrol, and an additional 13 CSOs are in phase training right now, and will be going out on their own in the coming weeks. Our CSOs assist with taking reports, handling traffic collisions, and helping to manage scenes of significant incidents. In the central city, in addition to our patrol resources, we also have a bike unit comprised of 14 officers and two sergeants that work the downtown core. And in addition to handling calls for service in the Corps, these officers are the go-to team for addressing concerns of businesses and residents in the central city. And additionally, within the central city, we also have a mounted Marine unit consisting of a sergeant and six officers. In uh, our central city's nightlife is supported by our department's E-team. Uh, the E-team is comprised of a sergeant and five officers. This team works closely with our nightclubs, bars, and entertainment establishments, and they partner with our nighttime economy manager and our city code staff to address problems and educate business owners. The North, East, and Central commands also each have a problem-oriented uh, policing team and a violent crime reduction team. Uh, the violent crime reduction teams are comprised of three sergeants and 12 officers, and these teams use data-driven approaches to focus primarily on gun violence and other violent crimes. Our POP teams are some of our business partners and community groups' favorites. Our problem-oriented policing teams are comprised of a sergeant, or I'm sorry, three sergeants and 17 officers 
who work collaboratively with other city departments to address neighborhood complaints and long-term problems. Uh, in 2023, our communication center received a total of 666,890 calls. Uh, our officers were dispatched on 163,000 of those, uh, most of which require uh, two officers to respond to them. Uh, this, qual I'm sorry, this call volume equates to one and a quarter calls to our comm center every minute of every day. And that's an average of 446 dispatched calls for service uh, every single day of the year. Our average staffing per shift is about 36 officers, so you can imagine they are quite busy. As of, um, of the 666,000 calls to our uh, communication center, 8,396 were for mental health, 9,514 were for domestic violence, 707 were for child abuse, 996 were for sexual assault, and 183 were for sideshows. In addition to these calls for service, our officers initiated proactively another 58,000 calls, which include traffic stops, uh, coming upon crimes in progress, uh, being flagged down by a community member, traffic hazards, and other non-emergency incidents. In 2023, there were a total of 71,491 reports filed. 7,000 of those reports were completed by our records division. And then 20,800 reports were submitted online for crimes that would not have, uh, that we just don't have the capacity to respond to. Those inclu include crimes such as auto burglaries, catalytic converter theft, and shoplifting crimes that have already occurred. In 2023, we conducted a technology assessment with the hopes of identifying innovative ways to provide service, better service to our residents. And as a result of that survey or assessment, this year we're piloting a video reporting option. Uh, the goal is to gauge the interest from the community in this method of making reports. Uh, video reporting would serve as an alternative service to those who would prefer a video interaction with an officer instead of a phone report. Another goal of this project is to identify innovative strategies to reduce the wait time for citizens and workload for patrol officers by shifting some of those reports uh, to an expediter. This is being rolled out for calls that are a lower priority, things like robberies, uh, suspicious activity reports, those types of things. Uh, next, I'm gonna, there is a, the next few slides uh, are gonna be a little bit overwhelming. I promise I just won't read them off. There's a lot there. I, I also violated the rule of how much text to put on a, and probably font size as well. Um, these next slides are gonna highlight just some of the things that each of our commands are involved in within the community. Um, I'm just gonna highlight a few from each one, and I, I would dare to guess too that each of these slides is not entirely encompassing. Um, but our North Command works with nine neighborhood and community associations, includes the Del Paso Heights PBID, the North Alliance Leadership Group, the Mexican Consulate, and the Natomas Chamber of Commerce, to just to name a few. Uh, they also participate in events like Lunch and Learn, Paso Verde PE with students, and helping families in need. Uh, the Central Command works with several neighborhood groups, including four PBIDs, the Midtown, R Street, River District, and Downtown Sacramento Partnership. Our Central Command participates in events like the MLK March, the Cesar Chavez March, Second Saturday, to name a few. East Command works with numerous neighborhood groups and two PBIDs, the Power and Alliance and Stockton Boulevard Partnership. Uh, East Command participates in events like MLK 360 March, Shriners Hospital uh, Youth Engagement, Community Conversations with, at Shiloh Baptist Church, 
and the Black Cowboys Parade. And lastly, our South Command uh, works closely with four P-Bids, the Broadway P-Bid, the Franklin Boulevard P-Bid, Florin Road, and the Mack Road Partnership. South Command regularly uh, uh, with 13 interacts with 13 community groups and part participates in events like the Florin Road Easter event, the Franklin Back to the Boulevard event, the Land Park Summer Oasis, and the Meadow Boo Halloween event. With that, I'm gonna hand it off to Deputy Chief Dan Monk. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chief. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. I'm Deputy Chief Dan Monk, and I oversee our Office of Specialized Services. The Office of Specialized Services includes Regional Transit Police Services, the Support Services Division, and the Metro Division, which supports our field operations with specialty teams and ancillary units, including SWAT, UAS teams, canine, traffic, marijuana compliance, and our impact team, who are assigned to the incident management team. Our SWAT and crisis negotiations teams utilize specialized training and equipment to help resolve safely, safely resolve incidents. In 2023, they had 112 critical incident deployments, with fourth used only three times. They had nine after-hour callouts with on-call responsibility. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They attended 61 community engagement events, including active shooter training for nonprofit organizations and businesses. Our uncrewed aerial systems, also known as UAS, uses commercially available drones that anyone can buy to reduce the suspect to officer confrontations during building and area searches. We have 40 UAS officers who are FAA certified pilots, primarily assigned to patrol operations. It takes 120 hours of training to become certified to fly the uncrewed aerial systems. In 2023, the unit responded to 309 calls for service. They flew 932 flights with 209 hours of flight time. 160 of the 309 calls occurred during low light hours increasing overall safety of officers and the community. We currently have nine UAS with enhanced night vision capabilities, all assigned to operations. Operations has 20 total UAS, I'm sorry, 24 total UAS assigned. In 2023, they assisted with the apprehension of 208 suspects. We had 21 UAS callouts in 2023, compared with 80 in 2021, and 37 in 2022. The callouts have dropped due to the availability of UAS within operations. Our canine unit provides officers with a safer means to conduct searches for suspects, conduct article searches for evidence, and to conduct bomb sweeps at large events. In 2023, canines were deployed 514 times on dangerous situations. During those deployments, no force was used 94% of the time. They conducted 81 sweeps for explosives. They attended 36 outreach events where the canines are always a community favorite. The traffic and major collision investigation units are tasked with reducing collisions through traffic education enforcement, as well as responding to major collision investigations. In 2023, the traffic officers conducted over 5,400 stops with 61% of those resulting in citations. The traffic investigators are on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And in 2023, they responded to investigate 49 fatal collisions 
with 55 fatalities. Traffic complaints continue to be one of the top concerns when our officers attend community meetings. The marijuana compliance team conducts investigative follow-up on potential illegal marijuana grow operations. In 2023, they sent 38 letters to tenant and property owners who were suspected of having an illegal marijuana grow. They served 18 cultivation search warrants and performed 23 inspections. They seized over 1,900 pounds of cannabis plants, made 19 arrests, and seized 21 guns. They issued $2.1 million in administrative penalties. As we learned from Brian Pedro in his presentation, the incident management team organizes assets, coordinates a standardized response, and provides a continuous reevaluation process for an effective and efficient response to homelessness in our city. The unfortunate reality is that there is a significant amount of crime involving our unhoused population, which accounts for about a third of our misdemeanor and felony arrests. Ultimately, by helping our homeless population, we can reduce victimization and impacts to the community while getting people the help they desperately need. We have 19 sworn staff dedicated to this team. Eight staff members are not funded to do this work. They have full-time positions and responsibilities elsewhere in our organization. But we believe that this issue is too important for us not to be involved with, even if there is not funding for those positions at this time. The Office of Specialized Services also includes a Support Services Division, which includes a Public Safety Communication Center, the Dispatch Academy, and Records. In the Communication Center, full staffing is 96 employees, but we currently have 32 vacancies, which is a 33% shortage. As Chief Green mentioned, our Communication Center received over 666,000 phone calls from the community. Almost half of those were 911 or 10-digit emergency calls. This is a 7% increase from 2022. I will now turn it over to Deputy Chief Greg Halstead. Thank you, Chief Long. Halstead, welcome. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. I am Deputy Chief Greg Halstead, and I oversee the Office of Investigations. The Office of Investigation is comprised into four divisions, the Detective Division, the Training, Research, and Development Division, and the Personnel Division, and the Office of Violence Prevention. The first division that I will highlight is the Detective Division. The Detective Division is divided into four areas. Our sworn detective staff, the Evidence and Property Unit, the Crime Analysis Unit, and the Forensics Unit, which, is, which includes our CSI Unit, the Latent Fingerprint Unit, and the Evidence Lab. In the year 2023, detectives were assigned 3,870 reports for follow-up investigation. In 2022, the state's average homicide clearance rate was only 59%. However, SPD's clearance rate for 2022 was 89%. It's too early to know that the statewide average will be for the year 2023, but our clearance rate was 87% for 2023. And while we strive to solve all homicide investigations, you can see that our solvability rate is much higher than the state average, but our clearance rate speaks to the level of cooperation and trust that we have with our community, as well as our detectives' expertise and commitment to bringing justice to the victims' families. In the fall of 2022, SPD was awarded a three-year technical assistance grant to help us reduce violent crime. Our federal partners, the FBI, DEA, 
the United States Marshal Service, ATF, and the United States Attorney's Office work collaboratively with us to reduce violent crime by providing investigative support and technical support. Additionally, PSP has completed assessments in three areas of our department. The first assessment was on our Crime Analysis Division. The second was on our Department of Technology, and the third was on our grant writing process. In 2023, while working collaboratively with our PSP agencies, we seized over 300 pounds of methamphetamine and cocaine and over 275,000 fentanyl pills. Fentanyl negatively impacts all demographics in our community. The DEA's One Pill Can Kill public safety announcement highlights the deadly nature of just one fentanyl pill. The seizure of over 275,000 fentanyl pills has undoubtedly prevented numerous fentanyl overdoses in our community. The Office of Investigations works with numerous community partners and regional agencies. I will highlight just a few of those. CASH provides uh, outreach and intervention services for trafficking victims, and they regularly participate in our human trafficking operations, which allows detectives to quickly connect victims with services and emergency shelter. WEAVE partners with us to help provide shelter and resources to victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, and sex trafficking. We are fortunate to have a full-time WEAVE advocate assigned to the detective division, which helps us quickly connect victims with services. My sister's house also helps provide emergency shelter and resources to victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. The City of, Ref City of Refuge in Three Strands also helps provide emergency shelter and services and resources for trafficking victims, as well as clothing and other personal items that they may need. The training division is divided into four sections. Our police academy, field training, the emergency vehicle operations course, also known as EVOC, and our advanced officer training unit. The training division operates two police academies a year. The academy is 24 weeks long and consists of 972 hours of instruction, which far exceeds the state requirement of 664 hours. Additionally, we run one 10-week CSO Academy each summer. Following the Police Academy, graduates enter the field training program where they receive six to eight months of supervised on-the-job training and learn how to apply the skills learned in the Police Academy. In total, our training division provides approximately 2,300 hours of training to every new police officer before they work on their own in the field. Our emergency vehicle operations uh, course instructors provide training not only to police officers, but to everyone in the police department who operates a city vehicle. And our advanced officer training unit provides ongoing professional training to members of our department. The personnel services division is responsible for recruiting, hiring, and conducting background investigations on all employees. Personnel also oversees our school resource officers, the magnet officers, and our employee wellness unit. In 2023, 937 people completed applications for the position of police officer, which is up slightly from 887 the previous year. Of those 937 applicants, 614 met minimum qualifications. Throughout 2023, our background investigators and recruiting officers conducted 18 oral interview and physical assessment test days for candidates. 
As a result of candidates completing and passing the testing process, our background investigators completed 180 background investigations, each of which requires approximately 50 hours worth of work. In 2023, we graduated 35 new police officers. And as of January of this year, we are, there are currently 46 police recruits in the background process for our July Academy. Our community service officer and student trainee positions are a part of our pipeline hiring program. These positions allow us to hire people once they graduate high school and employ them until they are old enough to become police officers. In 2023, we hired 15 CSOs and 16 student trainees. And as of January of this year, we have 14 CSO recruits in the background process for our July CSO Academy. Pictured here are PIO Sergeant Carlos Martinez and Senior Staff Assistant Amisha Jit. Both started with our department as student trainees and as you can see, have had successful careers with our department. The department is committed to the 30 by 30 initiative of having 30% of our police officer positions be women by the year 2030. To help with the initiative, we host a female fitness challenge which is an opportunity for women interested in law enforcement to practice the physical agility test required to become a police officer and to talk with female police officers and our recruiters during the event. When it comes to recruiting, our goal is to hire the highest quality individuals from our community and to build a professional, inclusive, and progressive police department. Recruiters attend community events, host job fairs, hold office hours at local colleges, and recruiters help applicants through each step of the hiring process. We offer mock oral interviews, a workout Wednesday, and a run with a recruiter day to get applicants physically prepared for the physical agility test and the academy. And we are proud that we currently have one DACA applicant in our background process for the 24BR2 Academy. The VIP Academy experience is an opportunity for members of our community to tour the police academy and get a behind the scenes look into what it's like to be a police officer and to meet with our recruiting team. In 2023, we had over 50 people who participated in VIP tours. The Office of Violence Prevention is managed by Dr. Nicole Clavo. In 2022, OVP was moved from the Department of Community Response to the police department. OVP manages grants and maintains partnerships with 14 community-based organizations to disrupt, respond, intervene, and prevent individuals from committing violent crime. To date, the CBOs have engaged over 750 youths. Thank you for your time, and I will now turn it over to Captain Buchanan. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. I'm Clay Buchanan, and I have the privilege to work in the Office of the Chief. The Office of the Chief consists of four divisions, the Administrative Service Division, the Special Services Division, the Fiscal Division, and the Strategy and Compliance Division. Our transparency team is comprised of seven professional staff. Last year, they facilitated the release of 472 media files on the department's YouTube page, which included five critical incidents. This team sp spends most of their time redacting documents, video, and audio. Redaction is done to protect our uninvolved community members' privacy and is required under law. <clears throat> the team is also responsible for updating our webpage, which enhances our transparency. Following are some of the items. 
resources related to California Public Records Act, incidents of public interest, release of pub, uh, police officer personnel records, SAC, the Sacramento Community Police Review Commission materials, and the use of force information and statistics. As a part of our administrative service division is our Governor Affairs Unit, which consists of our four professional staff and are responsible for responding to California Public Records Act requests. In 2023, they handled 1,620 PRA requests, which was an increase of 40% from the year prior. They currently have 478 active requests they are working on. In addition to public records that, uh, requests, the team completed 21 council reports and consulted with the city attorney's office on 204 department matters. matters. Our internal affairs unit is staffed with 16 personnel. In 2023, we added an additional sergeant and four officer positions to increase our capacity for transparency and investigations. Last year, 200 total, 290 total complaints were investigated, 42 of which were generated internally. Our professional standards unit is responsible for policy, administrative investigations regarding serious use of force incidents, and conducting the use of force review board. In 2023, the policy team completed 77 updates. Our force investigations team is comprised of 11 personnel. They respond to all critical incidents, including serious use of force incidents, officer-involved shootings, and deaths in custody. In 2023, they responded to and conducted 14 investigations. The force investigations team also moderates our use of force review board. This board was created to evaluate use of force incidents to ensure that force was used lawfully, appropriately, and was consistent with training and policy. In 2023, the use of force review board reviewed 87 individual uses of force. The strategy and compliance division will be responsible for ensuring, ensuring compliance and working with external partners in the community on items such as DOJ recommendations, Sacramento City Council resolutions, including mandatory use of force reporting, the Office of Public Safety Accountability and the Inspector General recommendations, and the Sacramento County Community Public Police Review Commission recommendations. They will work, work directly with our inspections and standards team. In 2023, the inspections and standards team conducted 707 constitutionality of arrest audits. These audits are conducted to ensure that our officers are operating within policy and the law. They also conducted 37 internal department inspections. We currently utilize a customer service engagement tool called SpiderTech. SpiderTech is a two-way communication platform that provides our community with status of cases or calls and offers the community, the community the ability to provide feedback on how well we are doing. In 2023, 91% of the respondents rated that we were either, they were either satisfied or very satisfied with our personnel's response. The Strategy and Compliance Division will monitor this, monitor this tool to ensure community satisfaction. Legal mandates. There are approximately 23 state legislative mandates that affect our department, some of which include Assembly Bill 953, the Racial Identity and Profiling Act, Government Code 770, Military Equipment Use Policy, and Penal Code 832.7, Senate Bill 1421, and Senate Bill 16, which uh, uh, requires the release of police officer personnel records. We also have to ensure compliance with city council mandates, which include the collaboration, collaboration with the Sacramento Community Police Review Commission, use of, use of force and 30-day video release mandate, military equipment use uh, purchase memorandum, armored vehicle notification, and working with the Office of Public Safety and Accountability. In addition, we provide council meeting security and dignitary, dignitary protection when required. Our fiscal division. In addition to managing our budgetary items, our fiscal division manages several grant programs to include the Urban Area Security Initiative. This program provides funding from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security through the state of California to enhance the five mission areas of the National Preparedness Goal, prevention, protection, mitigation, response, and recovery. 
Finally, our public information office and media services unit consists of six personnel. Social media is the department's number one way to connect with the public with over 486,000 followers. In 2023, we created more than 1,500 posts over our six platforms. In addition, we sent out 84 press releases and produced 104 videos for public release. The department also began utilizing the Signal app to efficiently connect with over 80 of our local media representatives. Thank you for your time. We have a short video to conclude our presentation. All right, do we have uh, any more music? <laughs> it was a very good and thorough presentation um, and under an hour, so thank you, really, because there's so much, so much to cover, but it was, it was well done and organized. I really appreciate you and your team for putting it out like that, Chief. Thank you. Um, I know I've got some questions, but uh, so do members. Do we have any public testimony? We do not have any public testimony. Okay, well. Um, let's then go to the questions from, uh, or comments from the members. I'll start with Councilmember Guetta. Okay, thank you very much, Mayor. Um, first, Chief, thank you very much and your team um, for, you know, the, uh, for the presentation. Um, and um, I guess a couple, a few things that I, um, uh, in observation over the, uh, over the last uh, um, few years here, um, in um, in efficiency and how we work how we work differently and the things you've taken on, given uh, given where we're headed to in the next few months, 
Um, number one, I just want to, you know, recognize the, the good work that uh, the department, yourself um, as well, on the issue of domestic violence, on the issues of human traffic and child and elder abuse. Uh, I understand that the, these, are, these are situations where many times we have repeat calls to same households, and I believe that what, um, you know, what's the right thing to do and also what's the efficient thing to do is to be working with the providers that help uh, break that cycle, that remove um, the survivors out of the way from, a predator, uh, from uh, perpetrators um, who continue to, um, to victimize uh, their own family members. And, uh, and I think that shift, and I remember when we first did that allocation to, for community against sexual harm, um, um, small amount of money, but I think it uh, pulled you know, folks who were trapped in, uh, in scenarios of sex trafficking out and re reduced the amount of calls of service on that. So one, I wanted to, I, I, again, recognize that uh, shift in the department and work on that effort. I do want to recognize <laughs> Um, you know, I, she, uh, I can't remember if she's a lieutenant now, but lieutenant, or Captain Stinson. Yeah. Or, lieutenant Stinson, retired, but she's still. She's retired. Still it seems around. like she's, yeah. she never leaves. So. Right? <laughs> so, so it's just great, you know. And like at one point she comes back. So I, I appreciate her hard work. Um, the other piece that I want to recognize, and, and this has happened very recently in District 6, but um, one of the frustrations that I know in our uh, council district we had, and maybe this is shared with, Communities in uh, in ESAC and Oak Park was um, how how large Area Six was, yeah. and uh, being able to have a faster time to response. And I know that uh, I've heard directly from uh, you know constituents and neighbors who say I've called the department and it took them X time to get to our uh, our uh, our call for for a response. And um, the 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 splitting up of uh, of uh, the uh, six district division here for into uh, area seven, a new area seven, and area six. Um, you know, I do want to thank uh, Lieutenant Neil Sublowski uh, and uh, Lieutenant Zaki and, and Lieutenant Myers for um, you know their their visibility and their you know uh, coming out to the community and talking about that split and the challenge. I don't I don't know if if, um, uh, if many residents know how big that area was from Watt Avenue all the way to Highway 50 to be able to patrol. So that I want to recognize that that area there, but. I guess we're, uh, and then the other issue is on the uh, the concern of, of you know, patrols and uh, and motor officers and the and and more of the the presence presence to address what what I think is the most uh, you know dangerous illegal behavior. Even on this morning commute, you know, when I was dropping off my kid um, to uh, childcare this morning, you know, the 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 behavior on the roads. And uh, I think uh, Captain Monk or, or Assistant Chief Monk uh, mentioned it. Uh, you know, the, the top concern that I hear is is uh, the, the the roadway, the, the people running red lights uh, as pedestrians are walking, the number of fatalities we've had, uh, and yet the the vacancies we have in our patrol officers or our, or our motor officers in this case. Um, and if you can talk to uh, to the challenge that we have here and. These are some of these tactics are efforts to reduce and better manage our workload. There, there are reforms that you've taken on, but uh, but still we have a vacancy problem here and a challenge to recruit. And so uh, well, you and I have talked about this pipeline effort, but how do we how do we address uh, both those issues 
uh, as we're coming up with, with a tough uh, a tough year or a couple years maybe ahead to be able to meet those demands. And I do want to recognize these are structural changes you've made to be able to have faster response time and to reduce you know, calls for service by thinking more creatively. But how, how do we address that aspect? Yeah, it's a lot. And thank you for the questions. Um, first of all, I'd also like to recognize you had talked about um, domestic violence. And you, we've talked about that a lot. When you see violence in the home, you see it on the streets. And so we see this nexus between gun violence, for example, and people with a history of domestic violence. And just to um, you know, really um, want to give credit to our team and to some of our community partners, for example, this weekend, we had a really significant incident with a woman who had a number of small children. And we we um, called our community partners, and I'll tell you what, everybody stepped up and um, were able to help this family in a very tough situation, you know. So we talk a lot about the work that we do in violence prevention with our Office of Violence Prevention and our CBOs in that area, but I think it's important to recognize why we wanted to highlight all of the great partners that we have in Sacramento because we have great community organizations. It's one of the things, very proud of our team for leveraging those resources. In regards to District 7, you know, um, that's been something that we try Trying to split that area has been something we have tried to do since I was lieutenant. It's been a long time because we recognize how big that area was and it just continues to grow with retail, with residential and commercial properties. You know, it's really, um, you know, a neat area of our city. And it wasn't until this last budget cycle, um, and it was a hard decision to make to cut some contracts so that we could put officers back into, officers and supervisors back into our patrol force, um, you know, about 25 or so. So now there's always demands, always something, um, but I share your concerns that response time is critical and traffic, being a former traffic officer like a number of us here, we realize that that is a gap for our city. And some of the things that we, we'd like to see, and this is more at the state level, would be the better use of technology and resources. There's a pilot program right now for speed cameras that we're tracking very closely. It doesn't apply to our, our um, county per se, but I think there's some technology out there. But you're right, it really comes down to having people. I would like to thank the council for the support of the pipeline for both student trainees and community service officers because that's really expanded our ability to handle some of the, what you would say are lower level calls, but I would say to a person involved in an accident, that may be the most significant thing that happens to them and the only interaction they have with us. And so for us to be able to respond to that, I think is really a community need and trying to build that out. So I share those concerns with you. It does, um, you know, we are challenged with staffing. I don't think there's any law enforcement agency that's not challenged with that. Um, and one of the things that we've done, and we knew it wasn't going to be a quick fix, was really to build that pipeline program. Um, you know, you and I have talked extensively about Hiram, for example, and creating a, like a leadership pathway into, um, into this profession. It was really this last fall that we were able to do really targeted recruiting into all of our magnet academies, but also to all of our high schools. And to, you know, work on hiring kids before maybe they got into junior college because not only do we want to create a career pathway for them, but it's really important to help them get an education, right? Like I was very lucky that I started here and you know we all worked full time, but at least I made enough money to pay for Sac State at the time. And that's really what helped me get my education, working 40 hours a week, you know, graveyard and going to school. And so we've, a lot of us have been through that path, but we also know that it's tough for kids, um, you know, to prepare for the position of police officer now. It's a much different requirement than it 
it was really 30 years ago. The expectations we have for maturity, um, you know, for good judgment, good sound judgment, the importance of having qualified candidates. When you look at who's actually applied, we only take about five or six percent of the applicants. Um, and so we do have people applying, more applied this year, fortunately, than last year, but we have to keep our standards very high. So what we want to do is try and create that path to help people get there, not only to help them have a career, but also to have them help, or to um, help them, you know, get their education because that's so important to us. We're different than other agencies that way. Yeah, too. I was surprised that seven. I mean, knew it was high, but seventy-one yeah. percent have a bachelor's degree. Bachelors in, are higher. You know, yeah. it's really significant, um, and so I'm very proud of that. The other thing, you know, it was funny that you mentioned Lieutenant um, Simpson. So we're actually working together on a driver's education program because we find that that's a big gap in our magnet academies. I would say probably across the board in high school, but you know, if any of us had to put their kids through driver's training, it's not cheap. You know, and um, it's not offered in high schools the way it used to be. And for me, that's really a requirement to get you know kids to be able to drive. And so we're working on a program um, that we can actually help kids get their driver's license because I think that's a really, whether they come work for the city or whether they work somewhere else, I think it's something that we're able to, to provide. And so it's kind of outside the box, but really on workforce development, I think that's huge. So the challenge that we have in really trying to uh, keep our, our staffing going. I think, and obviously, the pipeline program is a big portion of what we do. Um, the budget, we have a lot of questions about it and kind of what that's going to look like. Um, you know, obviously, you know, our staffing, I don't believe, is adequate for a city our size, but I also think that there's, you know, alternatives like to bring in more community service officers and to balance that and still be able to provide services. So as we continue to build, continue to fill our vacancies, we are looking at things like video technology. We all learned during the pandemic there's other ways to do things. And some of our spider tech feedback, the community service feedback, is that people want to talk to an officer. They don't necessarily want to wait five or six or seven hours for an officer to respond. So we're working on seeing that platform if that's going to be beneficial to our community. Because again, service is really what we're trying to provide here. And you think of yourself as really a consumer of city services and, and public services, what would you want to see? So we put ourselves really in the shoes of you know the people that we're serving and try and figure out how to serve them better. But I would ask anyone who has, you know, uh, you know, young people or anyone that wants to come into, you know, our, you know, this line of work or to the city to please refer them to our departments because we really are a big city, but we're small enough that we know everybody. And that's one of our strengths, I think, with our recruiting division is that we really do reach out to people on a personal basis. We walk them through the process. We try not to make it any kind of mystery, try and help prepare them, whether it's through the female fitness challenge, through, you know, fitness during the week, through, um, you know, workshops on how to be successful because we, we really do want to see people in the profession. We're not trying to make it difficult. Certainly different than it was 30 years ago when 3,000 people applied for you know 20 jobs. It's a much different environment, and we have to cater to that as well. well I appreciate that, and I, and I, I, I worry that as we look through these, uh, through these tough times that um, you know, we, we shoot ourselves in the foot in the long term if we don't look at local hire pipeline. Yep. I mean, I think this is, again, like as I mentioned in the fire conversation, this is a way to, particularly in communities where, uh, where we have low-income families, a career in public service, whether it's in fire, law enforcement, or say our public works department as an engineer, there are, there are ways I think that many of our young people don't, aren't aware that this is a, 
a, a good profession and a good career that can also address some of our income inequalities and build that that local trust with community and the city. So I, I just want to uh, again highlight that 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 recruitment and that effort to to have our um, uh, our city recruit its own is a, is, is important. The uh, last question that I uh, well, actually I have two, but one here on pop officers. You know, we brought back pop officers. Uh, after losing basically all of them during the the housing crisis, and now we're in a scenario where uh, essentially we share, you know, I think it's five pop officers for the entire southeast and east side of the city, um, and uh, and the, the the purpose of the you know the pop officers was to basically focus on those tactical issues and really dive into a problem area where you have the, a chronic nuisance that's occurring. But um, uh, I, I worry that where we're going in the department right now, that we're not um, we're spreading them too thin. So, and I don't know what that appropriate balance is, or if it's again another shift in the geography. And so, I, if I don't know if this is you've already made that shift, um, at least for District Six and Seven in in this area. But uh, are you looking through how you uh, assign pop officers? Um, to better be effective on this, on this, uh, on these problem areas. Yeah, and I'll actually invite Adam to come up and speak as well because it's within his purview of Office of Operations. So we have three sergeants and 17 pop officers where certainly before we had, you know, a larger supervisory pool and other officers. The additional thing is we are working really hard to support the city effort with the IMT. And so officers are being rotated out of their pop assignments to support that. Um, and, you know, the reality is that you have to prioritize where you're going to put people. And, you know, our first priority, I would say, would be to, you know, prevent and respond to calls from our constituents. I mean, ideally, you want to have specialized units that can really, um, you know, address the longer-term problems and do it in a unique way in partnership with the city attorney's office or district attorney. And so our pop officers certainly have a unique skill set with that, but it is filing a balance. So if you don't, if I could turn it over to No, Adam yes, please, and, really and please do so. And then I'll say it in the context of the, the, the benefit of a pop officer is that you're not chasing a call after call. You're finding that root of the problem. And I'm just, I had a call yesterday with a constituent off of Bradford who've had uh, in one particular area, like significant uh, break-ins and vandalism in just uh, a smaller area. And it seems to me that that's one of those where, okay, this is where a, a pop officer can help with those issues. Yeah, no, I don't know that I have too much more to add than what the chief said, but I agree. I think that um, our pop officers are really an incredible resource. We are fortunate to have a good relationship with the city attorney's office and work closely with them on some of those long-term projects and our pop officers are key for that. But we are, to the chief's point, very, very challenged in our staffing um, and we're asked to do more and more, whether it's you know, impact and human trafficking, we add these things to the department um, that pull us in a lot of different directions. And so we're challenged in making these decisions about how we deploy our staff. Um, and so that is one of the decisions we had to make last year as we looked at our patrol deployments. We looked at you know the number of calls that our officers uh, were responding to the amount of overtime they were spending trying to catch up on reports from their shift, um, the increase in call volume, and then when you combine that too with um, on a number of our calls with you know some of the things we're doing with de-escalation and the changes we're making with an organization you know organizationally in law enforcement, we're spending more time on calls as well, and so um, that demand and patrol being you know one of our, our first and foremost responsibilities is to respond to those 911 calls. 
And so um, I would love over time to add more bodies to our pop teams because we have had over time to make them smaller than they once were. Um, and I agree, I think the value in those units is, is really, really difficult to measure. Um, and to the chief's point, I don't, I don't think we're staffed to the level we should be for a city of our size. And it makes it hard for us to do all the things that we would like to do that you would like us to do uh, to the best of our ability because you know, we have limited resources in each of those areas, the pop officers being one of those. Um, and so you know, we, we just don't commit as, or not able to commit as many resources to everything uh, to the degree we would like to. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate you mentioning that it's the use of overtime to make sure that we can have the right number of, of pop officers because, again, to that point, if, if we can get to the, the root of a problem case, if it's one individual or group of individuals in a particular neighborhood that's causing 10 calls for service, then, the, then that's getting at, at uh, a reduction or at least not a, a, a balancing out um, for that. And we can deploy those resources in other areas as well. The last point I wanted to get at uh, is, um, or maybe get an, un an understanding, is uh, where we are on our uh, illegal grow house, illegal marijuana grow house enforcement. And, um, you know, I, this is one thing that, you know, in, particularly in my district, we pushed hard on to yeah. go after these illegal marijuana grow houses that had basically taken four or five homes, um, you know, got them out and, you know, three, four hundred plants in there. Um, so my understanding is that. Um, that team has has done pretty well, at least to moving. At least they're not coming to Sacramento anymore. They're going to Elk Grove in the county. But uh, where are we at on uh, on that special division of, uh, of of the department? Yeah, the marijuana the marijuana compliance team actually, which is city funded. Um, thank you for that. Uh, I know that uh, Dan ran through some of the stats, but uh, they actually issued two point one million dollars in administrative penalties last year. So there's still some work to do. I'll turn it over if you want to touch on um, what that team is currently working on. Yeah, you know, like uh, Chief Green mentioned, I think we'd all like uh, additional resources in a lot of different areas. And our marijuana compliance team is much like our other units, where uh, it's kind of bare bones. We have two officers and one sergeant that are assigned to that unit um, doing that work. Um, it is a bit of a balance, though, because as you know, the cannabis industry has undergone some significant changes um, in the last five years. And we don't see nearly the number of illegal grows in your area or, or anywhere in the city that like that we used to. Um, those numbers are significantly down. I think it probably speaks to the, the availability of um, getting that other means. Um, and so while that team is functioning, um, the, the staffing levels are not what they, what they used to be. Very good. Thank you. And I, I do want to appreciate your team. And also I want to recognize the, the city um, uh, manager's office and uh, code enforcement for that partnership in, in going after um, those homes that, and administering those, uh, those, uh, those penalties. And my understanding is those penalties are, are being put back in primarily into um, at least enforcement. Is that, is that correct, um, chief and city, manage, city attorney? that the, 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 uh, the, the penalties and the fees on the cannabis uh, uh, fines are coming, going back into enforcement? Yes, very good. Yeah, and actually, um, it's probably a good time to make that point. None of us work in a bubble, right? We all do better as a city, as a department, we work collaboratively. And so, you know, we only have the two off, you know, the small team, two officers and a sergeant, um, marijuana compliance, but, you know, we're tied in with POP, we're tied in with our metro units like SWAT, you know? And so we all call on each other to help just kind of like what we're doing um, with, with code, the city attorney's office, IMT. I think that's really where we have strength as a city, just a commentary, is that we do have collaborative relationships. And, you know, we're a small team, but we need 
you need help, you, you know, pick up the phone, you call someone, and um, and, yeah. and work together to solve a problem, so which is thank, our strength. Thank you, Chief. And I get that was just my point I, that I wanted to make. I think it's important that you know our city attorney's office and code code and, and PD have been working together to really make a I, what I've seen as a notable no, noticeable change in uh, in my council district. And pro, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Assistant Chief Monk, too, uh, in in the entire city. So, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember Guetta. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Talamantes. I didn't see uh, sideshows mentioned in the PowerPoint. Or maybe we I respond to 183 side. 183? Did I get that right? 183. We've practiced that a lot. You think I would have it right at the forehead? Right? <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, and we um, we've had a, a full-time person on it who did some great work this week. And actually, um, Lieutenant Zach Eaton's in the office, our Metro Division. A number of other people um, had information on the sideshow. And you really, the good news is you didn't hear anything about it because it went very well, and they did a lot of enforcement That's great. And partnership. Um, so um, it's still. I mean, I, I know you've seen some of the stuff that's gone in other counties and whatnot, but it's something that we have to actively engage and, um, and, and monitor and respond to. Yeah, yeah, and sideshows and uh, traffic, you know, continue to be the number one concerns in my community and something that I hear about, so not surprised to see it in your report. Um, I am worried about fentanyl and xylosine in our community and how that's going to impact Sacramento, and I know narcotics team was something that in 2008 we we kind of lowered how many people we have on it, and it's something on your PowerPoint. So I'm wondering if you can touch base on that. Uh, the DA is uh, driving the One Pill Can Kill campaign and doing a lot of the education that we're seeing in our high schools, for example. Um, with uh, fentanyl, obviously, you saw the seizures. That's really uh, because of our PSP partners. I know I've talked to a number of individual council members about the concerns over drug trafficking and drug use. And so one of the big um, initiatives that we have is really our strategic um, enforcement or intelligence-driven enforcement, the STRIDE program, and um, illegally trafficking Traffic narcotics are a big piece of that, and that's actually where that 275,000 came from. So I really appreciate the work of the officers, um, you know, that work for the commanders in the office in the audience here, as well as our federal partners, because that's been a real win for our city to be able to leverage those. Um, we do support, obviously, the efforts of uh, One Pill Can Kill, and we're looking at models like the Fort Program in. Fresno, which is a fentanyl overdose response team. Um, the coroner put out stats and talked about how many fentanyl overdoses there have been in the county in the last couple of years, and they, um, they, they certainly exceed the number of deaths um, by homicide, and I think it's something that we should all be really concerned about, and especially for our children, our young people, because um, like, uh, like was said in the presentation, it affects all demographics, all ages, and um, I think it's a real challenge for us. So working in partnership with the DA and looking to see what models we can respond to um, is going to be a priority of, of ours as well. Yeah, well, you have my full support on our narcotics team to be able to help us out with Sacramento, and so just wanted to vocalize that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Let's uh, turn over to Councilmember Valenzuela. Yeah, thank you, and thank you, Chief, and your team for such a great... Sorry about that. Mayor's muting me halfway through my sentence. My lips are moving, no sounds coming out. Um, but I'm sure you could have taken three hours um, to talk about all the different things and how big your department is. And so I just want to appreciate you for all the work that went into that. And also to note, I mean, your department is probably like the most impacted by our homelessness crisis. And so I just want to acknowledge that, you know, on this dais last week when we didn't have time to get to PD, we were talking a lot about what does it look like to have another mechanism in place so 
that PD isn't the first responder when there isn't a crime in progress so that the staff you do have is able to free up and actually respond to those calls maybe quicker because they're not having to respond to the 10 other calls that aren't urgent. And so I just want to ping that again. And I was texting with the city manager because I re just remembered while you were talking about calls that we'd had some offers to help us dig into our call data a little bit, start figuring out what might make sense. And so we were texting about like, hey, where's that at? How can we be really thoughtful? Because obviously you don't want to make a huge change overnight. But like if there's some obvious calls that it's like, hey, we really don't need to be responding to those things. I think that partnership will be really important. Um, I also, I just want to talk about like building relationships. Um, and I want to talk positively about the bike team a little bit um, because the businesses on K Street love the bike team. I was like, they love them. Um, like all of the businesses around like this very central core where they patrol because they're able to build relationships. Like it's a small team, but they're accessible. They're literally biking and walking by. They're coming by the businesses and saying, hey. And when I think about that for like other parts of my district, I think about like CV Circle, New Helvetia. And like we've had several, since I've been in office, really tragic events over there, including the death of a seven-year-old girl that I know you recall, Isabel. Yeah. And um, one of the first things I heard from those residents when we talked is that they were like, I don't know these officers, right? They're like, we used to know the officers in our area. We used to know them either through PAL or through something else and like it that lack of trust and relationship I think can go both ways sometimes right like if you don't know somebody you don't know what they're doing if they're out at night or if they're doing something suspicious just like they don't know if they can trust the officers that are there who are trying to say hey we're here to try to figure out what happened and they're closing the door because they don't believe that trust is there so I'd love wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because I remember being a neighborhood leader way back when I'm um, in organizing in Oak Park and it used to kill me because it's like we get this great relationship with the captain and we'd be like cool I feel like I can call you and like we can work together when we see something happening and then they'd rotate and I was like and we would grieve <laughs> um, and like we have that still happening I know it's obvious that there's opportunities that happen and so we don't want to like lock somebody into one role or one beat for the rest of their career but I, that is something that I, I think about a lot is like how do we build more of those relationships so that we are tr more trusting of each other and that there is that relation ability to yes still work with our CBOs but also to work more effectively with community um, when there's common interest there so yeah I'd love to address that so you're thinking because uh, I remember exactly what you're talking about we used to have SHRA used to support a dedicated team a sergeant Ben Gomez and four officers in there and they were there for a number of years right um, it's kind of like to the conversation about pop officers when you have reductions now you've got to you know bring you know these folks and you know put them in a different assignment which is typically like our core services and I remember how um, highly that team was thought of how they worked with the school um, and had a great relationship but I do want to I do want to one thank uh, Captain Heinlein uh, for all the work um, that the bike officers are doing you know a lot of these programs are they're driven from having um, a, you know command staff that really knows what's important and we're moving in the same direction. Um, and if I could, I'll bring uh, Captain Bales up to talk um, real quickly about, he's like, I didn't know you were gonna call me up, but I am. Um, uh, because it's important, Surprise. because I think he's doing some good work, um, especially along Broadway and some of the work that is going on uh, really. And when we, we talk about like work in CV Circle, we're looking at preventing um, you know crime and reducing victimization and really trying to bring stability uh, to that area. And then I'll end on kind of like some of the command staff questions. Do you mind just talking about some of the stuff that you're doing? Not at all. Look at me. I'm here. <laughs> I'm Aaron Council. I'm Captain Bales, the South Area Commander. Uh, I think what the Chief is alluding to is our Broadway bike program that we run, uh, where each week, and we've actually expanded it to the Franklin Corridor as well, we have a bike officer that goes in and actually checks in with the staff and the managers at each of our business locations 
um, and then talks to them about issues that are arriving as they as they uh, come each week. And that seems to have not only like reduced impact of whatever um, smaller crimes that uh, Councilmember Guerra was talking about, but just the relationship that we built there. Yeah. You know, um, I, to your point about uh, the command staff, I know exactly what you talk about because you build a relationship with your lieutenant and your captain and then we rotate them out, right? And it's, I mean, and honestly, it's been a period of transition for our department over the last few years. You know, you look, you see a lot of very young uh, captains and lieutenants here, but the, the you know, What's great is that we have such great enthusiasm um, and really are very dedicated to the profession. The other thing it brings is there's a lot of stability here in the organization moving forward because you've got people in place that have a long career in front of them, right? And I think that's gonna be really healthy for our police department because they're building institutional knowledge and developing those relationships. Um, you'll see we, we had these big hiring waves 20 or 30 years ago and then you'll see a big push out the door at the same time. And I think we've pretty much gotten over the last few years of a big um, exit uh, with the department. And so, uh, you know, to your point, um, we've had to make a lot of changes quickly and move people into positions because we had holes. And I'm hoping as we move forward, we can certainly get some stability, um, you know, and, and I think the good thing is too, when you have people that are in place, I know I've benefited from this, is that um, you know we're not going anywhere, so the community members that you do have contacts with, you take those people with you and they follow you. And so I still will get questions from commands to, you know, two or three commands ago and we're you know, obviously uh, integrated well enough that we can do a warm handoff um, to people. But you know, I think that stability that you're talking about is really important for any organization, including ours. Yeah, and I know it's difficult because obviously not every area is concise as K Street and Doco, right? And so right. like something like a bike system isn't always gonna work. But like I hear from residents in other neighborhoods that are like, gosh, it'd be cool if they had a minute, if they just got out of the car and like walked around a little bit or just chatted with folks. Like, and that's obviously if you're dealing with, again, we get back to the call diversion thing. Like if you're dealing with that many calls, per person they won't have the time to get out and be like chatting with people at the park but you know I'll see like a car parked next to Grant Park for like a while and I'll think gosh you know like maybe if they got out of the car and we're just chatting with residents who are using the park and I don't know if that's something that's encouraged but I think that's the sort of relationship building that some of my neighborhoods are really looking for is like hey who are you like I see you in this car I see you driving by you know just so that there's more trust built there but just some ideas, but might not be practical. But well, no, actually, the time. I mean, I think that's, you know, um, number one, if, if there's any constituent in any of your areas that wants a connection, obviously, I mean, you saw that long list. I mean, I think Adam, you know, admitted he violated the font rule for sure, but um, it, it shows how, how much we do try and get into the community, even though, you know, we are, um, staffed uh, in a challenging way. We have had a strong and a robust relationship with uh, many community groups, many community members, and that is really important to us as a service. You know, we're actually doing uh, formalized service training um, because it's, you know, lots of times we know the nuts and bolts, um, but it's like going that little bit of extra, and it's definitely showing if you see um, our spider tech or, you know, our customer service uh, survey results that 91% are, are satisfied, and that's under challenging times. I mean, people don't typically call the police when something's going well. I mean, let's be honest. And so to have that type of feedback, I think is very positive. But we also pay attention to a lot of the feedback that comes from those surveys to find out like what hasn't gone well. And a lot of it to, you know, the, the points that have been made response times, you know, a lot of them are structural, um, not so much, you know, when the officer or the CSO responds, but more about like, it took a long time to get there. You know, the online reporting system isn't great. So we take that to heart um, when we do that. But at the same time, I think it's very important, you know, one 
recognize that the officers have an immense workload, um, but in spite of that, they still really work hard to get out, and we do a lot of structured community events when we can give that attention, but then we also really are pushing for that one-on-one -on -one interaction so if people feel like they're really valued and the police department cares. Thank you. Vice Mayor Maple. Thank you, Mayor. Um, and thank you for the very thorough presentation to everyone who did. I, um, I took about four pages of notes. So, <laughs> so a, lot, a lot to learn. It but also just shows the amount of work that's going on every day. And something that really struck me was looking at that graph and seeing, you know, the pre-2008 pre levels and then now and that they're not, not anywhere close and then that direct line in terms of the population. So that's not lost on me that you're doing, everyone's doing a lot more with less now um, and the expectations are higher. Um, and so I've, I see that. Um, I also wanted to, so homicide and rape are down almost 30%. That's yeah. pretty incredible it's considering huge. the fact that we have staffing issues and that people are doing more with less. So I really wanted to call that out, not just for you all, but for the community. If anyone's out there listening, um, that you're really, really putting in the work and making it happen. The other thing that really struck out to me was an 87% clearance rate. Yeah. That's pretty, wow. Five. I, yeah. yeah. Um, that's really uncommon. As I understand it, so I think that that's another really incredible thing that I wanted to uplift about the department and the work that you're doing. Um, and so, obviously, a lot of calls for service, a lot of work happening, um, and just really wanted to just congratulate you on, on the work. And I know um, that maybe rings a little bit hollow, given that the resources aren't there as much as now, and we have a, a couple hard years ahead of us. But I think that you know we we recognize that, and in, in the future, we'll be keeping an eye on that as we have more resources and they're available. Um, I just have like one little comment. Uh, it's it's um, on the marijuana compliance. I know that we've changed it to cannabis in most of our other like city code and the Office of Cannabis Management. So it might be worth looking into just to make sure that we're consistent. Not a big deal, but just something that I noticed. Um, and then uh, and then the other thing that, that struck out to me was um, there were some stats related to 911 call data as it relates to mental health and domestic violence and. I know um, you've recently received positions in order to get to come through data more, but I'm just interested to know, is there a plan moving forward to make some of that data more available to the public so that we can take a look at some of those stats in real time and, and what does that look like? Um, yeah, actually, uh, we're working with the city through their open data portal and are really working to push out more information. Uh, Captain Harrington actually is leading that project to where we can push out you know, different call types and m make that readily available. And so we just had a conversation in the last couple of months, and he's going through um, because I think there was some information that we certainly could share, and so we're working on getting that out. And so we're building that, and I'll be happy to share it with you, and it should break that down even further. Awesome. Yeah, and I uh, appreciate that, and I think it, that's going to be a really big step for us as a as a city, as a region, to be able to take a look at that and um, be able to make some policy decisions based on that too, right? You know, we don't want to just make decisions. Uh, we want them to be rooted in data, and um, so I think having access to that will be really great, and then also having the community be able to take a look at that will really aid in, in that trust building and transparency as well. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the presentation. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Councilmember Jennings. Thank you, Mayor. I'll be, I'll be brief because my colleagues have said a lot about the great presentation that we've uh, seen today. Um, Chief, I just want to start off by thanking you for putting up the um, mission statement. Um, I think the mission statement to work in partnership with the community to protect life and property to solve problems, neighborhood problems, and enhance the quality of life in the city of Sacramento, the presentation showed me that 
everything that we're doing, everything that the men and women of the department are doing is exactly within that mission statement. And so to me, the true integrity of the mission and the work that's being done and the results that we're seeing, they all come together for me. And so my, my only suggestion to you is, as all of us have events going on in our district, let us somehow be a part of the recruitment to bring in more officers, even if we have a booth that's sitting up in our events. Um, I've got a couple of them that I do, and I'd love to just have a booth there and let people know the need, um, let people know about more about the criminal justice magnet program, look, community service officers and the officers that we need, and just do, I want to be a part of the solution because I believe it's an incredible career and I think it's one that we need to do more to make sure that people know the type of work that you do and the success that you have. So I will take you up on that. Thank you take very much for the offer. Thank you. Right, thank you. I know I, I have a few questions. And first of all, I mean, you know that uh, the public and some of our critics um, rightfully point out when the trends are not going in the right direction. I just want to encourage you uh, in the humble way that you do to continue to amplify some of the positive numbers here. Uh, I know we're all out there uh, with that, but it's important and to also explain why um, and what it is that um, you know, you're doing, we're doing policy-wise, but also um, strategic deployment uh, to you know, focus on some of the areas with the highest, that have had traditionally some of the higher crime rates, all of that. I just think there's, this is worth some time, not to rest on our laurels in any way, because we won't, and I know you won't, but that is significant, and it's too easy to just dismiss the, the good news and the good trends, so that's one thing. Um, and thank you. Um, I wanna ask a couple of questions, if I might, Chief, that I don't need the answer to right now, but they're sort of setups for the budget, because you know one of the reasons why we are uh, engaged in uh, in this, in addition to you know informing the public and new members about all the things that our police department does, known and unknown, um, which is valuable in and of itself, is we know we're facing a significant budget problem uh, this year, and that no department or no part of the city probably can be immune from uh, from the solution. So, a couple questions, if I might. What is the current ratio of retirements and people leaving the department to the numbers of people coming in the department and, uh, and new hires out of the academy? I know that this was spoken of, has been spoken of during my tenure as a real challenge. You can't hire people fast enough. Well, what is the current uh, last year, we had a net loss of five at the end net of the year. Net loss of yeah. five. Yeah, so after accounting for all of the recruitments that we did, and, and I'm talking as sworn, I'll have to get you the professional staff numbers because those are a little bit different, but those I have on top of my head, um, we had an, a, a loss of five at the end of the year. And we typically attrit anywhere between 30 and 50 people per year, either in retirements, injuries, resignations. Um, and ideally, you know, we would like to bring on, you know, between 30 and 40 in an academy 
to make up for that difference and try and grow our vacancies. But we just haven't been able to do it. You know, we had um, 11 graduate from the academy. We currently have 19 in the academy. And so that's where we see our attrition outpacing our recruitment. But that's also why that pipeline program is so important because, you know, when we, when we made the ask for it, we knew it wasn't going to be an immediate result, but we're setting ourselves up for future build out. And so what is the, what is the time frame that policymakers in the city can expect in terms of the pipeline programs catching up and being able to reverse that trend? Where, because you're, as you said, in 2007, which was now you know, 17 years ago, we were at 804 and uh, sworn officers, sworn correct? Sworn officers, correct. And the city has grown significantly and now we're at 755 and so what do we say to the public about the prospect of being able to add back a narcotics division, for example, or a traffic division, or some of the things that we have lost, or maybe even adding to the patrol resources sure. because of how thinly stretched uh, patrol is. What, what is the, with the pipeline programs, what's the timeline and the reasonable expectation that, that we, we may be able to catch up if our budget right. is balanced it. and we have some more resources? You know, uh, we're really actively trying to recruit out of high schools for a student trainee program and to actually do formal training for them over the summer um, and then support them as they get their education, you know, because I think the education piece is really important. There's not necessarily a state mandate that's been discussed about having officers have their bachelors. You know, um, I'm glad to share that we have 71% um, have that voluntarily or higher even. Um, but I think one of the challenges is um, being able to, you know, work full time and have your job, accommodate that. That's one thing that we can do really well here because we're a 24-7 operation. So with the student trainee uh, pipeline, the idea is to have them for a year or two out of high school, then move them into a community service officer uh, program. And they can do that for up to five years as a community service officer. For me, and I'll be quite candid, is that I really try to encourage uh, student trainees and community service officers to get their education at that time before they become a police officer because um, a lot of us did it. We worked full time plus court overtime plus mandated overtime and it was very difficult to go to school full time and I see people I drop off. I understand. So uh, ideally, you know, I encourage them to get their bachelor's degree. Um, Obviously, that's not a requirement. They have to have the 60 units, and we consider everything on a case-by-case -case basis. But you also have, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of an increase in the applications as well. We have a great recruiting division that goes above and beyond, I'll tell you what, to get those applicants in. But I do think that you're going to have to see a, a shift in how the public feels about law enforcement for that to change. And, of course, there's a danger the other way, which is if our retirements and people leaving, but mostly retirements, Outpace. go up even more than the net five that you talked about. Right. And we continue to go below, we could go below 755, right? I mean, you were able to keep that number because you redeployed people from special assignments and special services to- Well, yeah, 755 is what we're authorized. We'll drop that to 747 with the RT contract. But even so, we still have you know 80 plus vacancies right now on the sworn side. Okay, so then it gets to the money issue, and I just want to put this out there, and it's not intended as controversial, but maybe it will be, which is that I think it's important as we approach this budget that we recognize a bit of the catch-22 that the department faces and that we face as policymakers, and obviously the city manager and the city's fiscal 
team, and that is we rightfully pay our officers and our personnel more money to attract and retain police officers to be competitive. Correct. And also because it's the right thing to do. And if we don't do it, then we run the risk of actually losing officers and having that, that, that balance that we want to achieve and to begin adding officers, we make that even more impossible if we're not actively recruiting men and women to the Sacramento Police Department because they have other choices, okay? On the other hand, if we have large deficits and we have to cut everything, including the police budget, we make it much more difficult, if not impossible, to even think about adding new officers. So this is something that we need to consider. I mean, the contracts, you know, and again, I go back to Vice Mayor Maple, who I thought wrote a very important piece um, in response to some criticism about the contracts. We stand behind the contracts. I do, we, you know, we did that knowingly, willingly, because it's the right thing to do by our city workforce, including the men and women in uniform, all uniforms. And yet, all of us, not just you sitting out there, rank and file, and everybody who works for the city is gonna have to grapple with the impact of that, that's all. And be real honest about it, in terms of service and service levels. Because we don't print money. And I just wanna put that out there because that's gonna be something that we're gonna to have to speak about and talk about uh, when, when it comes to this budget. And it's not right or wrong, it's just a fact. Which leads me then to my next question, if I might. That might have been more of a statement than a question. So, so here's, here's a question. Um, so, and this is another one of those deep, dark holes that we've gone into in prior years, but I wanna see if we can level set it in a different way. I think you said that you currently have 221 vacancies. How many vacancies? 175 you? as of this last report on Friday. I misheard it. Or didn't write I it threw down. a lot of numbers around, it's okay. Uh, 175 vacancies. And then you said last year, <laughs> which was an active year in terms of protests and, and activities, extra activities in the city, that we had 11, that you had to deploy officers 11,370 hours of overtime. Yep. And I'd like to know, not right now, but this is again the setup for the discussion, what the relationship is between the vacancies and the overtime, because the reason, there's two reasons for vacancies, is my uh, limited understanding of this over these years. One is to maintain the potential of being able to recruit more officers faster than the retirement so that we can get closer to that 2007 number, that's one. But secondly, it's the so-called blanket, I think that's the term, for overtime. That's what you use to pay the overtime. And so I remember Councilmember Chenier <laughs> and others we, we had a lot of brain damage about trying to break this down, but I think you kind of put it out there in a way that maybe makes it easier for us to understand the relationship between the two. If it's 175 vacant positions and 11,700 
hours of overtime, how many of those vacant positions did we have to use to pay for 2023 overtime? All of it and then some, yeah. And, oh, uh, okay, then that's the answer. Yeah, so that's the math. Yeah, and I can, um, let me back up to... Well, Chief, I'm, I'm going to interrupt here for a second. Uh, I know we're going to have a much broader conversation are, within the context of the budget, but I appreciate you surfacing these now because yes. these are absolutely things we're going to have to grapple with as we go through the coming weeks and months. And uh, I, uh, you also hit it on the head when you talk about recruitment efforts, how we can fill these positions. But I think it's also uh, very important uh, that we look at the retention side because if we could stem the tide on the retirements and people can stay, then we won't have those net numbers that we're that's seeing. That's true too. I yeah. didn't, I didn't, my questions did not just, but that's exactly right. What is it gonna take to, right. to stem um, early retirements? Right. Um, okay, so you answered it, um, all of it and then some, but let's get that actual number here as we, as we approach the budget discussion. The other one that I wanna ask about, please, is I know that under the state mandates um, <laughs> that there are a lot of personnel, not some sworn officers and some non-sworn officers that spend a lot of time with records related issues, uh, looking at video camera and all of that. There's one that struck out to me, which is 1,480 hours of redaction. Um, and I understand redaction for purposes of privacy, et cetera, but I'd love to know what the cost of that is. Um, and actually, it's more than just those hours. So uh, a couple of things on the state mandates. Um, you know, they're tough because a lot of them are unfunded. I know we've had that conversation here, uh, which is tough. So I, obviously, ideally, um, you know, we try and use, um, we have some sworn staff, but certainly have tried to hire records um, specialists into those transparency efforts, which the council approved. Those um, are currently uh, vacant, many of them. We also use retired annuitants because they are not benefited and work at a lower cost. Those are retirees that we can use on a limited basis for a critical function, um, you know, through some approvals. Um, so, so we do that as well. But uh, we were actually talking about quantifying the cost of transparency and accountability. And you've got your labor costs, you've got your equipment costs, um, and obviously, you know, the, the work product um, speaks for itself. And so that's actually something that we're looking at to try and bring back to actually figure out how many hours we spend through overtime, through, you know, trying to reduce costs with um, staff that's not sworn uh, to produce those because we are mandated. Um, you know, we have a backlog on PRAs, even though we've submitted and have completed a number of those PRAs. Um, so it's a real challenge uh, for us. But I can look at quantifying that number and bringing it, would it back. It would be good to know, we again, the, as we approach and we look at the mandates and what the, what, what the law requires us to do, what we aspire to do, just so we have those range of choices as we are looking at the budget. Mayor, I've also asked the chief and the team to pull together uh, if they can quantify uh, the, the costs associated with reviewing body cam uh, videos and compliance with the council's you know, directive on releasing videos. I mean, that, that's... that's look, at all information is good. I'll just say it right now. We ain't getting rid of body cams here in this city. Um, we're just not doing that, um, I don't think, um, subject to the, votes of the, to the votes of the members. And I'm telling you that cannot happen in this city. Um, we've come too far, and it's a good and great thing for the city, for the officers, uh, it protects. So I get it. But listen, the, the fact that the city manager mentions it, I appreciate it, because depending on what the number is, when this comes out, 
We're going to have to grapple with real choices here. And that's why I talked about the contract, which I support. But that's a real line item number two, all the contracts. So we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to grapple with it all. If I could just The comment. city family. Last comment, and then we're going to... Like be done, right? I'll be quick. We're going to be done. Um, okay. You know, you had mentioned that 87% um, or 89% clearance rate that we have for homicide and how significant that is. Um, talked about that and talked about this being a win. I have to say, our cops deserve every penny that they get for the work that they do. And I appreciate so much um, under very tough circumstances knowing that, you know, we were going to be facing challenges to the support of this council for the men and women, you know, because they do deserve it. When people leave this organization, they don't leave it because they don't want to be in the city. They talk about the amount of work and what we require them to do. So certainly vacancy savings and having people work a lot of overtime is not ideal and it's not sustainable for our people, you know. And it's been an unfortunate situation that we've been in for years. Um, so clearly not ideal, but the reason the work that gets done, and when we talk about these big wins, it's because you have an incredibly talented group of men and women that yeah. work here. So it's not just, you know, you're paying cops, you're paying for quality police officers, quality professional staff. You know, I have the opportunity to go to a lot of agencies, and I think our men and women are outstanding, and they are really the ones that deserve, I would say, the credit for the big numbers that you see. And that's really what you're getting for your dollars. You know, people Thank always you. ask. And That's thank it. you to all of them. So um, and when, but now maybe you said something that makes me want to have Another one question. last word. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Just had, had to do it. Um, the re one of the reasons I asked the question about recruitment and retention versus, uh, and the academies versus the retirements, is that I think in fairness to the policymakers here in the body, the people that I help lead here, sometimes there is a perception out there, well, the policymakers, you know, don't want to add to that. Don't want to add the number to the number of officers who are patrolling our streets or investigating major crimes or busting drug dealers, and that's not true. Clearly, um, because what's really happening, even as most of us, and again, there's good variety of opinion on the council, have approved various police budgets yes. over the years. There's f stubborn facts. And that stubborn fact is that retirements are occurring faster than, than our, your ability, our ability to be able to hire. So it's not a matter of, well, if you just put more, in, more money into this even, even money would not necessar necessarily solve the problem. Right. Again, we just, we just passed great contract, right? We just negotiated and approved a great contract, and yet you still have this dilemma about being able to recruit and, and hire faster than men and women are retiring. So I just wanted to make that point. Thank you, and thank you okay. for your support of all of those programs. I really appreciate it. Thank okay, you, thank you all. Thank you. Very much. That's, um, do we have public testimony? Mayor, this is a special meeting. Yeah, so we don't, we don't, we don't need it. Okay, I think that then concludes the workshop. We do have closed session uh, at four o'clock, so if there's nothing further, we will reconvene at 5 o'clock for the regular city council meeting. Thank you all very much. We're adjourned. <laughs>